Hi, welcome to another Writers After Dark. I'm Summer Brooks, and we are here because good stories start with the writers, since wherever there's a story, someone's either making it up or writing it down. And with me today is the author of a... (laughs) I like how that amused you. Uh, The author of a very intriguing... uh, I'm going to say a new look at what many of us old fogies came to know as cyberpunk but it's a cyber-based thriller called when the sparrow falls it's already out it came out june 29th from tour and it is a very very heady story full of twists and turns and intrigues and I'm going to say paranoia is worthy of Philip K. Dick, who who I am a huge fan of. How's that? Uh, That's high praise indeed. Thank you very much. <laughs> Neil, welcome to the show. And you were a playwright before getting into actual novel writing, correct? Yeah, well, I kind of like, you, you know, it's, it's a funny story. I was kind of like, I, I, I still think of myself as a playwright. And I just, uh, Facebook reminded me today that it's been eight years since I actually had a kind of like a full production of one of my plays on stage. So I don't know if I can keep calling myself that now. <laughs> I think um, by, by, at some point they just kind of like reclaim your license. But uh, yes, I, I was a playwright at some point. Well, that's not fair because you've got like old guys who can't play guitar anymore that still call themselves, you know, musicians. So mm-hmm. you have a break in your playwriting. You should still be able to call yourself a playwright. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go with that. So, yeah, never never mind that there's an eight-year transition <laughs> period. What What caused you to jump from writing plays to writing stories novels okay well um it was kind of I've kind of been jumping between the two like um I in my kind of like teens and early 20s I really wanted to be a novelist um and I was kind of like I was writing for kind of like you know I, I think I wrote my first story when I was like eight years old or something like that uh, so it was always kind of like something uh on the to-do list uh, but then when I joined uh, the UCD, so I went to University College Dublin and I joined the UCD Drama Society, which is like the most, one of the most active drama societies in Europe. They put on like two shows every week. And I got, uh, and I just kind of got sucked into that, like um, absolutely, you know, properly indoctrinated. And I started writing plays and I had some, I think something like 10 scripts put on. Uh, during the, the the four years I was there in the drama society so that kind of like really kind of like got me uh, hooked into into playwriting um, and then I um, I graduated and I kind of like you know got the the full-time office job and all the time all the while I was still writing plays and trying to get them put on and I had a kind of like in 2017 I had two very very big opportunities um, just go up and smoke uh for it like within the same month and i was just kind of like um i was just like i'm I'm trapped in this job that i really just can't stand uh but that i need to be working in because you know i've got a family to support and basically all the progress that i've made in my writing career has just turned to ash in the space of like a, a, a single month 
and I went into a kind of like a very very bad headspace and by the like by the end of 2017 I, I, I briefly became suicidal so I kind of so I've been writing this play called the Caspian Sea on and off for around six or seven years it was just it was something that was never I was never quite happy with and it was just kind of like I pick it up and then I tinker with it and then I put it back and I was kind of like it was really kind of like I couldn't let go of this story but even though in the back of my mind I knew it wasn't really suitable for stage it was kind of like it was a science fiction kind of cold war kind of mashup and there was a lot of world building in it and it, that's just not the right story for stage you kind of like and, and and once I finished it I showed it to people and everyone like my wife included they were like you know this is not this is not a play this is kind of like this is a novel or a screenplay or it's something but it's not a play and I was like I don't have time to write a novel but after this uh, I've, I've, I kind of like had this you know uh, mental health crisis um, I basically um, I need I felt that I needed to divorce my uh, sense of self-worth from how well my writing was doing and I needed to just write it something for me and that's basically so I just started adapting this play into a novel as a form of self-therapy and that's that's basically and that's how and it was a very quick process because I already had the the characters and the themes and the plot and the structure and it was all there and it was just a case of putting meat in the bones and fleshing out the world building and you know adding a few kind of subplots but it was a very quick and, e and very uh, pleasurable and very easy process and so I started writing in November 2017 I had the first draft finished in February 2018 wow. so you know yeah it was so um, so we would, I would, like in a way, I'd recommend the, I recommend writing a play, a novel as a play first, and uh, and then just kind of like then just fleshing it out. But I wouldn't recommend you know having a mental health crisis be the kind of like the the, the 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 impetus for writing it. But that's how that's how that's how when the Sparrow Falls came came to be. I I feel for you uh, as as someone who has had you know my own struggles with mental stability uh i keep being told that writing helps and i'm still working on that <laughs> as, um, as i think we are to we are all to some point but yeah uh, it's it's kind of it's not i like you know a, a, a mental health but like who who doesn't in the modern mm -hmm. age you know mm -hmm. uh it's kind of it's 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 an epidemic and i'm i have to ask how long would the stage version of the caspian sea have been because oh. how much how much the novel is involved and obviously you expanded it to fill the mm. space of a novel to get the sort of imagery across that you didn't have mm -hmm. putting it on stage but there's just so much going on in this book so the it's actually it's not it's like it's it's around two hours um i think like it's had staged readings and i think they were they were under they were between an hour and a half and two hours so kind of like a reasonable length for for a drama um so what's basically what is in the play is any scene in the novel that the the stuff in the morrison hotel doesn't doesn't happen in the novel 
any scene between South and Nyman or South and Chernov or South and Lily, apart from the stuff in the Morrison Hotel, that's basically the play. Okay. Um, Sally Coe isn't in it. Um, the, a lot of the kind of like the, the stuff in the end of the chapter, like detailing the entire kind of like the collapse of the Caspian Republic, sorry, spoilers. Uh, that's not in the play, but the basic story of Nyman South, Lily and Paolo Zarao, that's the kind of like that, that is the play. So when you say you had a read, was this like a table read or an actual like practice performance? So it is, it, I got, it got two staged readings, uh, one in the last Frontier Theatre Conference in um, Valdez, Alaska, and one here in Dublin. And yeah, it was basically, it was, it, it was the actors um, just sitting on stage with scripts. And I think there was a little bit of, uh, there was a little bit of standing and walking over and, and that kind of thing, but it wasn't a fully staged production. Um, I am but, still... Uh, immensely fascinated and just tickled trying to imagine this being acted out just because it's so there are like I said there are a lot of things going on there are a lot of questions that become raised by who's who who's doing what what is really going on here and and I have to read this the description that I got that I first got about this story is uh, the story questions the ideas of propaganda, identity, autonomy, and freedom. Imagine altered carbon by way of BBC's Luther. And I just went, what? I, I haven't heard that one, actually. I thought, I, I thought I'd heard all the marketing copies, so I'm very interested where you heard that one from. Uh, directly from Tor. I mean, literally, oh. what they put altered common and Luther. I'm like, wait, you have my attention? What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and just, you know, the imagining a country, a republic, the Caspian Republic being the last bastion on the planet that doesn't allow cyborgs, AIs, robots of any kind, uh, and just the terror that is an undercurrent driving how these people behave. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, robots, aliens, and zombies, I'm with you. I, I understand. I understand your, 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 your hesitance, your terror. I get it. I get it. <laughs> That's kind of, well, kind of what, what, what I thought would be more interesting to do would be like, so I wanted to do this kind of like this future dystopia, but I didn't just want it to be kind of like, you know, future Nazis number 307,000, you know, it's, uh, that's been done. I want to say, well, what if I took a kind of like a, a founding principle that the reader would probably have some sympathy for or some or kind of could see themselves being kind of like swept along and, and just say, yeah, but this could kind of lead you down the path, this very, very dark path. And I thought that was kind of like, that's a kind of just, just start with something that the, the, the where, where the, the kind of like the reader is on kind of like basically on side and then just so, yeah, but this is how, this is how demagogues work. They find out what you're afraid of and they use that to get you in line to do what they want, which is to accrue power for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's there's a rhetoric in the novel that is for people who are pop culture fans echoes very much with the movie version of V for Vendetta for for good reasons. Um, the playing, and I emphasize the word playing in a malicious intent with people's perceptions and fears to get them to do what you want them to do for you, even if it's against their own best interest mm -hmm. ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the, the, the story, I don't want to, I don't want to go into spoilers, but if you, if you can run in that direction, what type of uh, what type of investigation and revelations was it that you wanted Nikolai, Nikolai South to uh, uncover and have to have him reevaluate everything he thought he knew? So the story is basically, if I had to boil down to what it's about, it's about um, it's about dehumanization and it's about uh, rehumanization. It's about um, learning to see humanity in people that we have kind of written off or that we have trained ourselves or have been trained to, um, to no longer see as humans. And so when Nikolai is given this job of escorting this visiting AI uh, dignitary, and she shows up and she is wearing a cloned body that is identical to his wife who, um, who drowned 30 years previously. So suddenly, obviously that kind of uh, completely throws him for a loop. Firstly, he's absolutely furious because he thinks that he's being manipulated. Mm -hmm. But the longer he spends with Lily, the, the visiting AI, the more he comes to believe that she is not, she is not deliberate, that this was not a kind of like a deliberate choice in her part. And he comes to all his kind of like his guilt over how his, his marriage ended uh, because it ended in a very, in a very dubious and a very um, uncertain way. And all the kind of like his guilt and the second guessing of his behavior during his marriage, uh, that just comes rising to the surface. And it becomes Nikolai's kind of quest to redeem himself and to kind of like the, to, to take advantage of the second chance he's beginning to do right by um, the woman that he let down. So for you, what was, what was, what were some of the things that while you were translating this from from uh, script to prose uh what was i think what i guess what was the thing that most surprised you i mean did you did you plot all of this out did you pants some of it were there's some uh, revelations while writing where you went oh oh that's what i'm trying to say okay yeah there was <laughs> so there were oh plenty uh plenty um so how i kind of i how I was so this is my the first novel that I've written like that I've written in in years and I think it's the first one that I'd actually consider in any way successful um 
so I was kind of I was discovering like who I am now as a novel like who I am now as a novelist in my kind of like my mid let's let's say mid 30s um <laughs> which is a bit of a fit but um who, who I am now as a novelist uh, is completely different from whom I was when I was you know writing my late teens early 20s um when I was a complete nutter pantser um now I've kind of like I, I what I've realized about myself is I'm a pantser by by inclination but a but a plotter by necessity um so how I kind of I I I basically I have to know where I'm going and have no idea how I'm going to get there. Um, so I need basically I need to know where point A is and point Z, point Z is, and then I'll figure out B, C, D, E, F, and so on. Um, but with this one, I didn't because like I had the basic plot, so it, I had the, the basic structure there. So what really kind of um, what took me by surprise was um, how South changed even though he wasn't really changing, but just the, the, the simple act of putting him in a new medium um, made quite significant changes to the character. Uh, he, in the play, he's much more of a bumbler or he, he comes across as much more of like just a very ordinary man who's just been thrust into an, or, an extraordinary situation and has to do the best he can. In the novel, because it's a first person narration, you're actually seeing his observations and you're kind of like hearing his kind of like snide asides at everything that's going on. And he comes across as a much cannier character and a much more clued in character and much more ear to the ground. Uh, and he comes across as someone who's much more, um, much, much less of a patsy basically this is he is kind of like he's fully aware of how brutal the situation of the the this the, the society that he's living in is and he's just kind of like trying to keep to, trying to keep his head down and survive and so he comes across as a much someone who's got a much kind of sharper head on his shoulders is that the the type of investigator you wanted for this some story someone who was doing his best to play along with the party's rules, but who by nature has to question everything in order to solve these crimes. So it kind of, in a, in a way, he kind of moved away from my kind of like original conception for the character. Um, how I kind of, the, the very earliest germ of this idea was, um, I don't know if you know the story of Stanislav Petrov, uh, who is this uh, Soviet um, a, a Soviet Air Force officer? In 1983, he was kind of like he was manning his desk, and he sees this light blinking on his screen um, that seems to be indicating that the U.S. has launched a nuke at Russia. And if he was just to follow the procedures, right. he was just supposed to report this uh, upstairs, and then the Soviets would probably have launched a nuclear retaliatory strike, and then all life on Earth, you know, is gone. And Stanislav Petrov, he just kind of like thinks to himself, well, if the Americans really were going to nuke us, they wouldn't send one missile. They'd have launched their entire, um, the, the, their entire payload. And also he knows that this is a new computer system and they haven't worked out the bugs yet. So he decides just to do nothing. He doesn't report this. And by doing so, he, may, he becomes uh, possibly the only human being in history who it can literally be said that he saved the entire world. 
And I was very kind of taken with the idea of a hero who is heroic, not because he acts or not because he's kind of like a man of action, you know, kind of like running around with a machine gun, but because he just refuses to act. He just like had this incredible courage to just do nothing. And that was kind of like the original conception for South is that he would have the opportunity to report Lily when she finds her husband's ship and to report her. And then she would be kind of like taken away and shot and buried in an unmarked grave. And he just refuses. He just does nothing. Um, and I kind of drift with, especially with a bit with the play, but especially with the novel, I kind of drifted away from that. He does become a bit more of a kind of like a conventionally heroic character. You see him kind of like actually deducing things and being more active. Um, but yeah, that's so, so I suppose he kind of like, and I think it that works better for the novel, but I did kind of like, I did basically end up kind of like betraying my original conception for Nikolai South as a character a little bit, <laughs> not too much. I hope. Not too much. Well, I want to let people experience this story for themselves. Talk, talk a little bit about how readers have been receiving the story and, and the feedback you've been receiving. It's been out for a couple of weeks now. And just the, the buzz I've seen online is quite, quite positively heady. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, people seem to like it, uh, which is very, very heartening. Um, uh, I've been, Jesus, I've been kind of like refreshing Goodreads, like a goddamn heroin <laughs> junkie. Uh, you know, seriously, just give me one more five-star review. Papa needs his medicine. You know, it's just, uh, it's really sad. It's really sad. But, um, it, it the, the response has been overall has been very, very positive. Um, even the, even the less positive ones have been very kind of like they've cl it's clearly people who really kind of like engaged with us and kind of like and are, are, are kind of like are, are passionate in, in 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 their own way um so yeah i mean um i yeah no i've been very very happy with the response so far um oh. but i just i just wish there was more i need more <laughs> well give it time give it time it's still fresh and new and People, people are still getting getting back into a, a rhythm of of doing stuff, and I I look at the the responses I've seen so far for this story as a good sign. It means we're moving away from the zombie obsession and back around the bottom end of the circle toward the obsessions with being annihilated by either robots or uh, extraterrestrials. So we're good. <laughs> oh it's it's a never-ending cycle it's hilarious and mm. i'm glad to see that robots are taking a, a front seat again so well i mean like let's be honest i mean i don't think they're gonna wipe us out but they're probably more likely to than the zombies so you know that's kind of mm. like it's i don't know i don't know the eventually people will just you know they they enjoy you know taking pot shots at the zombies because hey they're zombies but you know the robots what do you do? I mean, they just keep coming back. What do you do with well, them? And then I if the aliens get involved, that's a that's a whole nother mess. Yeah. You know, see, I think with the thing with the the thing with zombies is zombie apocalypse is kind of a power fantasy because it's the only movie monster that you know you look at it and you think, you know what, I could I could take him. <laughs> you know, you could like you know you have a, give me give me like you know a, a cricket bat or 
baseball, but I'd have a chance, you know? And I never think that, you know, when I'm looking at the xenomorph, I'm looking at the xenomorph and thinking, yeah, I'd be dead. I'd be kind of like, I'd be incubating a face hugger within, no, not a face hugger. They don't incubate the face huggers. Anyway, you know what, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, it's the one movie monster where you actually feel like you'd have a chance against in a fair fight. Hmm. Hmm. And, and suddenly now I want to see the, the pub crawl at, uh, what is it? The end of the world. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a rated movie actually I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that redone you know i'd have to see the yeah the zombie version the uh robots version and the extraterrestrials version weren't the zombies weren't, weren't the robots also extraterrestrials in the world's end i think they were, were they they? Kind of did a, yeah i think they, they did a two for their alien robots oh that's not fair <laughs> that's not fair because they have to fight each other for the for the chance to to take us out it's sort of like a intergalactic beat bobby flay <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i'm just getting silly here mm. too too many pop culture uh fandoms in my head so in addition to writing about a a new sort of republic taking on robots sort of you are also a scholar of comics and mythology uh whoa that's <laughs> uh do i want to claim that i i have a i my, my degree was in irish folklore um so but that was a that was a long time ago it's it's been uh it's Jesus, when I graduated in 2000, 2006. Uh, so what, what, what year is this? <laughs> so 15 years, Jesus. Yeah, so it's, it's been a while. <laughs> um, yeah, like I have a, 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 a like very, very keen interest in, um, in, in Irish folklore particularly. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert by any means. Uh, not without kind of like, you know, a book in front of me that I can actually like, you know, leave through and answer any questions. <laughs> well, how about comics? Uh, comics, I could probably do you better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, American mythology, if you like. That, hey, that that is a foundational, uniquely broad and deep mm -hmm. uh, mythological world. And oh, it, it goes way beyond uh, Marvel and DC characters. Mm -hmm. There's there's a there's a there's a whole rich pageant there in the American comic book scene, and sorely untapped. Hopefully, Marvel will fix that because uh, a lot of their uh, I still I still am bitter. I still have resentment about the way the Netflix Marvel shows ended because they were awesome. Mm yeah and uh, uh well that's... but so, some of them i think defenders were and iron fist were uh, i well. i will i will agree that iron fist sort of fell off the back of the truck and rolled <laughs> through the garbage but i will defend defenders i i was a okay. huge fan of that comic series and i loved i wish dr strange had shown up but hey that's just me but i thought yeah. that daredevil and Jessica Jones were awesome. Mm. I 
am still a little annoyed with season two of Luke Cage, but so we'll just like set that aside. It's not as bad as Iron Fist, but it's not as good as the first season either. I haven't even I, I, I completely forgot there was a season two of Luke Cage. See, I'm not yeah. alone. There's there are a lot of people out there who have intentionally forgotten. It's like, no, I didn't see that. It just wasn't there. And I'm actually kind of interested to see what they do with Moon Knight. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like I like Moon Knight. Moon Knight was once described to me as somebody who said, yeah, Moon Knight is Batman with a lot more mental issues. I'm like, do yeah. you realize what you're saying there? it's kind of like moonlight is moonlight is it's it's batman but like no one is under any illusions that the guy is nuts yeah yeah and i i tell people that what was it in uh was it in winter soldier when they were torturing the hydra guy on the roof I, and he mentioned Stephen Strange and mm. that journalist in Cairo. I literally screamed out in the theater because I knew who they were. I'm like, that's Doctor Strange and that's Moon Knight. Oh my god! I didn't. I didn't get that. That there was a Moon Knight reference. Yeah. Um, yep. Th- that okay. journalist in Cairo. <laughs> but, he, but he. But Mark Spector is not a journalist. He had been a journalist in several iterations, I believe. But when okay. they said that journalist in Cairo, I'm like, oh my God, that's Moon Knight. Because I couldn't see I, what other what other what other uh Marvel hero is based in Cairo. I see, I don't know. I think I thought it was I, I I don't remember that line, I'll be honest. I, I'd have to go back and watch it. But it, it was after line... it was after Natasha kicked him off the roof and um, uh and yeah. they're talking to each other and then falcon brings him back up <laughs> i i went into this whole rant when i was i was reviewing uh i i've been reviewing like all the marvel movies on my blog and that line just kind of like fucks up the timeline something awful because he's talking about stephen strange as if he's already established as a, as a superhero because if you, why would they be why would Hydra be monitoring just some anonymous like neurosurgeon in in New York uh but then but that was the whole point of that uh that machine it predicts who could become a superhero and if you kill them before they walk that path they're never a threat ah uh, I don't know I mean like he's kind of he's telling Steve Rogers you know we're we're monitoring Stephen Strange and it's clearly that Steve is supposed to know who that is Mm. I always thought that was more dropped for the fans mm. because there's, there's, I mean, Steve Rogers has literally only been out of the ice maybe what five years at at most. He doesn't know anybody. Mm. Well, he knows he knows the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I understood that reference. <laughs> Uh, so so what is it about the 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 comics and the the marvel movies uh, that you are so fascinated that you're analyzing all of them on your blog oh that's a good question i don't know it's just um i mean like i've been a comics fan like as long as like as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a comics fan um there i don't know it just i i just i think they're they are really good movies um i i make i make no apologies for that i think they're just they're very well crafted movies i think it's fascinating how they're kind of that that they've managed to keep it going this far i think it's like this is like the 
it's not the first interconnected movie continuity. I think that that would be universal in the 1940s, but it's definitely the most, it's by far the most successful and the most intricate. And I love just kind of like, just, I love comparing things on the internet because, <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's 2021 and the internet has turned us all mildly autistic. Um, so I just kind of like, it was, it was kind of a, a natural choice for me after I kind of like, I reached the end of the Disney canon movies. That's, that was how I started out. Um, the, the blog started out as just me reviewing the canon movies, the canon Disney movies in order. And so when I kind of like, I reached the end and was like, well, what do we do now? Okay, well, there's the Marvel movies right there. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of, uh, just kind of snowballed from there. Um, <laughs> And I have to ask, are you including the Marvel characters that aren't made by Marvel that were at some time owned by other studios? So what I'm do, I have started, I basically, uh, I've three main kind of strands, if you like, in my review. So I have the Disney canon movies. I have the Marvel movies. I started doing the, the Fox X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. And then everything else I do is just kind of re reader requests. Uh, because I took a lot of requests years ago and I'm still working through them uh, <laughs> through my Patreon. So it's like, it's, um, so that's just kind of like, that'll, that'll keep me going. I think, I, I think I worked it out. It'll keep me going to around 2030. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, tell everyone where they can find you online, this uh, amazing geek deep dive blog of yours and uh, social media so people can sure, follow up on your um i was so the the blog is unshavedmouse.com uh the my twitter handle is at unshavedmouse and that is literally the only like social media i <laughs> give a crap about i kind of like i've given i'm not on instagram i'm not on tiktok i'm not on a it's just like i don't care anymore mm -hmm. i just kind of like it has passed me by yeah i i fully understand i i i love and hate twitter and mm. that's the only one i'm really doing but i have multiple for lack of a better word identities on twitter mm. but yeah that's it's a it's a dumpster fire you can't stop staring at right <laughs> so i'm basically i just kind of like i don't i don't even read my feed anymore i just kind of like i check my my notifications is anyone talking about me no okay bye and then that's it just <laughs> so it's just kind of and it's 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 helped keep me sane oh that's that's scary <laughs> anyway thank you Neil, Thank you. for showing, sharing with us uh, your insights into When the Sparrow Falls. The book is available now from Tor. You can find it in various retailers, both physical copies and ebook copies. Is there an audiobook version? There is an audiobook version. Um, I now, I far as I know, the the in my neck of the woods, it's not available yet. But I think in North America, it is um, it, it, there is there there is an audiobook available now. Uh, it's read by Jake Fairbrother, and it's absolutely fantastic. He he absolutely nailed Seth, so uh, I would strongly recommend it. Awesome. Well, we will have links to that. And again, thank you so much. Thank you.
Escape Pod is your destination for the best in modern short science fiction. Our intrepid crew of editors and hosts will bring you fun, thought-provoking in-flight entertainment every week as the pod careens around the multiverse. In the mood for a classic? We've got Anson Mount, also known as Captain Christopher Pike, reading Theodore Sturgeon. Want something a little more up-to-date? Jennifer R. Donahue's surveillance fatigue has you covered, in every sense. From classic space opera to intimate character drama, from heroic alien pets waiting for their families, to herds of Einsteins and the benevolent conspiracy they're hatching, Escape Pod has it all. Take a ride with us at escapepod.org and buckle up, because it's story time. When the Sparrow Falls is available from any of your favorite retailers, print, ebook, audio. And I'm curious to see what he comes up with next. And I I hope it will be just as uh, mind-twistingly entertaining. How about you? What do you like from your cyber-infused stories? Let me know. Shoot me an email, summer at writersafterdark.com, or come on by and leave a comment on the website, Writers After Dark. And, of course, you can uh, chat on Twitter at writeafterdark, that's W-R-I-T-E, after dark. And we'll uh, get into a conversation about old cyberpunk, new cyberpunk, and the stories that fall in between. You can listen to Writers After Dark on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Player FM. And if you're listening on Apple or Stitcher, or are a member of Podchaser, consider leaving a review for us. Help us raise the show's profile, Sigma Boost, as it were. You never know. Someone else might like some of the same interviews you have been enjoying and could be convinced to check them out based on your recommendations. I'd like to thank everyone who is currently helping to support Writers After Dark and the other shows in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe, that being Slice of Sci-Fi, the Archives for Babylon podcast, the Archives for Charlie Jade, the Archives for A Different Point of View, and a handful of other websites where movies, television, comics, and books are explored. If you'd like to add your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi. Pick a tier, any tier, and you will be eligible for perks. Every month, I pick an email address out of the hopper, and that person gets to choose from a DVD, a Blu-ray, a 4K, yes, I have some of those around, or a book. Many of the review materials I receive for both Writers After Dark and Slice of Sci-Fi 
I, I can't keep it all. There's just not enough space. So my intrepid listeners of the shows, fans of the podcasts, I'll get first dibs at uh, this really cool swag. So that is my thanks to you for helping support the endeavors here. But if a donation every now and then is more your speed, you can use the PayPal link, which is paypal.me slash sci-fi summer. And also keep an eye on the websites or continue listening to the podcast. Eventually, very soon, I hope, there will be a coffee page for you to submit donations through as well. But uh, that'll do it for this episode. See you next time. And remember, keep looking for your own stories. Thank you.